So, how long we got? Where's our destination today? I don't know. We got 20 miles to cover. Let's talk some movies. People don't know how to drive. Are we going to get lunch on this gig? You see anything good recently? Not really. Right, we got a little time, Steve. Let's do a podcast. Sounds good. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. When I stop and I turn, and I go to the right. Till I get to the bottom, and I see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do you, don't you want me to love you? All right. I'm back in the driver's seat, and you're in the passenger seat again, Steve. Yeah. Uh, welcome back to Film Driven. Hey, I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Haskins. And uh, we're here to talk about uh, Quentin Tarantino again. We Steve. are. Yeah, we have the... Second time. Second, maybe third? I'm not sure. I can't remember if we did a whole like overview. Of I think Quinn. we did a whole overview on, on Quentin years ago. Uh, I believe, like, right around Django. Yeah, and Jane then I know Jane? we've discussed Hateful Eight before, but uh, anyway, Tarantino, is, uh, he has a new movie out, it's a good one, and he's a filmmaker that, uh, it's safe to say, we, we both like him, like, right, in Absolutely. general, we're positive about yeah. him. Yeah, very much so. Uh, um, yeah, we, so we're going to discuss Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we are going to spoil the living shit out of this movie, <laughs> so if you have not seen it... Uh, come back to this afterwards because we're going to talk about the ending. We're going to talk about what happens. Uh, we're also kind of revisit some aspects of Tarantino's career uh, with this new movie. There's been a lot of uh, writing on the internet, things like that, has been making the rounds. Yes. I've been kind of enjoying revisiting Tarantino, the good and the bad, and we'll kind of we talk about some of that and how it relates to the new movie. Absolutely, and and you know, Tarantino is a is an interesting topic, and also. You know, I don't know if we really anticipated this when we did our original Tarantino uh, podcast, but, you know, Tarantino is like one of the few, if not the only, marquee filmmaker left. Cinema has become literally driven by, you know, superhero and comic book films, uh, where the marquee aspect is the character that the film is about. So you don't go see the Black Panther because of the director of the Black Panther. You go see it because the character is the star. And uh, there's virtually no filmmakers left that have the cachet to open a movie. Yeah, I mean, there are... Maybe Nolan might be the only one I know of. There's Christopher but, uh, Nolan. Scorsese still has some cachet. Well, but I guess the thing is, Scorsese has some cachet, and Paul Thomas Anderson has some cachet, but those guys don't necessarily guarantee uh, asses and seats, as they say. No, they don't. Whereas Tarantino's movies do make money. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They seem to, and they seem to make a nice profit for the studio, and uh, I like to see that personally because Tarantino at least makes real movies. Whether you like him or not, whether you like his individual films or not, he's an actual filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, he makes cinema for what it's worth, and I think cinema is in very short supply these days, so it's always good to see cinema on the big screen at the cinema. Sure. Uh, and uh, 
well, what can you say? Once upon a time in Hollywood, I mean, cinema is the beating heart of that film, right? Yeah, it uh, it is a, as the title implies, it's a fairy tale. It takes place, uh, you know, we're not going to recount the basics of the plot, because like we said, if you're plot. listening to this, hope, hopefully you uh, get the gist. But, um, so, let's start with just overall impressions. Uh, I, I like this movie quite a bit. I thought it was a... Certainly an improvement on uh, The Hateful Eight, which was Tarantino's previous movie, which I thought was it, either his worst or second worst of uh, the things he's yeah, done, just right. the most indulgent. This was much better. Um, some great performances by uh, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, it doesn't really surprise you, right, but, uh, right. but I just enjoyed hanging out with those guys. Absolutely. Well, and that's basically what it is, right? It's a hangout movie, and you have to be prepared for it to be a hangout movie. Because if you're not prepared for a hangout movie, if you want plot-driven stuff, you are not going to get that with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Essentially, two-thirds of the film involve just people just driving around or having yeah. drinks or watching TV or having just casual conversations or not-so-casual conversations, as the case may be, but really going about their day. Yes, uh, but I, there is also the aspect of, uh, you know, Jackie Brown was what Tarantino called a hangout movie, and his characters a lot of times were just hanging out and talking. But in those in Jackie Brown, his characters are hanging out and talking in, like, a mid-level condo in L.A. in 1995, whereas Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio's character... Uh -huh. Going about his day involves doing a bit part on a western. That's you right. know, and uh, Brad Pitt's day involves doing some errands and uh, repairing an antenna. I guess. <laughs> but so it is true they maybe they don't do anything too consequential, but their 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 days are maybe a little more interesting than some people. And there's the aspect of uh, I kind of call it historical voyeurism. That unlike a movie set in the present day, you kind of get an inkling of what it's like to just hang out in Hollywood in 1969. Absolutely. And the movie accomplishes that beautifully. I mean, the film looks great. Uh, the, the period is recreated in a loving but very, like, authentic way. Like, every stuff seems to work, you know? Like, yeah. Like, when Leo DiCaprio's outfits don't seem like costumes and actors wearing, yeah. except when they are literally costumes and actors wearing, which they discuss in detail with the thing. And and a lot of this is inside Hollywood stuff. I mean, and, you know, with the inside baseball, as they, they say, when you get into real, like, like, deep weeds of, like, details of filmmaking. And I do think some people find that boring and kind of off-putting. Like, what what the hell am I watching? <laughs> you know, why why are they talking so much about a costume? That he's wearing in the in 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 this TV movie that he's shooting. It's uh, and and or specifics about acting and approaches to acting and so on and so forth. So I, I don't know. I mean, as I was watching, I was thinking like, wow, this movie seems to be catered very much to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how other people perceive it. And there is definitely, you know, some people hate this movie, Steve. Yeah, there are people who found it very boring that not much happens. But I, yeah, like, I'm with you. I love movies. I liked enjoying some of that. And I will say Tarantino has grown quite a bit in his... Uh, love of nostalgia that it used to be when he would have something from the 70s he'd almost make like a big deal about it right you know, like he'd like the camera would zoom in and like i want to make everybody aware right that i am referencing this thing right and i mean it's a you know it's not historically accurate per se it's kind of a shtick and this movie is less of that shtick 
Because it's true that whenever you make a movie set in the past to the characters in that world, you know, it's the present. Right. You know, like, no, no one in 1969 was walking around all the time going, look at me, I look like I'm in 1969. Look at my you know, like, leather jacket. It's not their neck. vintage clothing, it's just their clothing. You right. know, like, that's what they're right. wearing. Right. And Tarantino, you know, has obviously, you know, specifically say in, what's Brad Pitt's character's name again? Cliff. Cliff. In Cliff's trailer, you know, Cliff's got some... 60s detritus and like you know you see lunch boxes and things like that and you know certainly he gets a little bit of his love of that stuff in there yeah. but it's not it doesn't like stop the plot cold it's and, subtle it's it's yeah, yeah it, it's it's sort of our direction at its finest and, and you know we, we we may talk a little bit about bob richardson's cinematography in this film but sure. but you know the whole look of the film is very it's very luscious it's very visually compelling and and to me that's part of the enjoyment of the film i think i think like if you go into this film looking for some kind of plot for it to having some something to say specifically about whatever uh you're going to be probably disappointed. I well, think the way I, to go in this film is 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 in an, from an aesthetic perspective is to sort of enjoy the entire vibe, this world of late 1960s Hollywood and, and the concerns that are facing these people, which you know intrinsically to the plot of the film are silly concerns, right? Well, I mean, it's, I I disagree with you that um, I agree with you on. Maybe not as much plot, especially at the beginning of you know the first right. two thirds of the movie. But I do think it has a lot to say. Like there are actually a lot of themes in this movie about um, you know this movie is a very much a midlife crisis movie. Sure, um, presumably sure. for Mr. Tarantino, perhaps. But then certainly for uh, Rick Dalton, you know he's not sure about his place in a changing world. And the other thing about this movie that lends it you know, a momentum even in the scenes where people are just hanging out is the Tate murders that are inevitable, that they're coming up, you know, Miss uh, Sharon Tate and her... It is Sharon, right? Yes. Sharon. <laughs> Sharon Tate and her housemates are, you know, they're going to get killed and that, you know, it's almost like if there's a horror aspect in this movie, even more so than uh, Manson, it, it's time. I mean, it's literally time is bearing down... On all these characters, right, 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 which is which is uh, which is definitely creates a sense of doom over the entire thing that's going on. Yeah. Even though the stuff that's going on is is not really downbeat. I mean, we have to point out this is the this is definitely the most mellow Tarantino movie ever made. It is the least violent Tarantino movie. Ever made. <laughs> Which, really? It's total. Of course, it's the way did, the. Least, did you leave before the ending? Well, no, I didn't. Li <laughs> listen, the ending gets violent, but 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 this. I mean, on the grand scale of Tarantino films, Steve, this is this is probably down there with Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Where which is also not as violent as as you think it is, but uh, or or mo as most people remember. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that that historical event that you know the movie is leading up to. Is uh, it creates an incredible sense of suspense that that exists throughout the film, that uh, that sort of makes the requirement for plotting. It sort of takes a lot of lot of that requirement away. Yeah, I mean, th th this this is really Tarantino's maybe his most 
mature film as a filmmaker because there's so much confidence he has by allowing two-thirds of the film to be essentially a hangout film. Yeah, it's an interesting that if you know or you think you know where the movie's going, that it eliminates the need in individual scenes to propel the plot forward because it feels like the plot is, like, it's going forward anyway whether you like it or not. Exactly. You know, the death is coming and it doesn't matter what goes on before then that... You know, you can take your time with some of the other things because death is still going to come. Absolutely. Um, So this might be a good time to talk about Sharon Tate. You know, there's some criticism levied at the film. The idea if the movie was about three characters, you know, there's Rick Dalton, there's Leo, there's Cliff, uh, played by Brad Pitt, and then uh, Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie. And Sharon Tate has less screen time, less lines. Now, I will say my pushback on that is... First of all, I think Sharon Tate is not an equal character in this movie. No. Like, she's no. she's an important character, yeah. but it's clearly the movie is about these other two guys. Right. And I actually, I really enjoyed her performance, and I thought the movie did a good Always job, did. again, with this inevitable death coming down. Like, there's a whole sequence where she goes to watch herself in this movie she made uh, with Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. The Wrecking Crew. The Wrecking Crew. Yeah. Matt Helm classic. And it really gave you some insight into Sharon Tate as like this kind of sweet up and coming actress who is still new enough to the movie world to just take genuine delight at seeing herself on the screen and being with an audience who doesn't know she's there and laughing at like you know her comedic bits right and so that's what in that sense like you know she didn't have as much snappy Tarantino dialogue but I've certainly got a sense of her as a character. Well, I think that was the point. I think that was the point to sort of show Sharon Tate as a wonderful person, which by all accounts she was. And 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 you know, if there's one minor criticism I have to levy against her, the portrayal of Sharon Tate is is that the movie treats her almost like a magical fairy creature. I mean, well, she's, she's a bit of a, like, yeah, cipher she, for innocence. Well, she's yeah. completely innocent. She she doesn't have an enormous amount of personality. She's she, you know, she gets a kick out of her stardom, but when other people look at her, they're like, oh, my God, here comes the next Liz Taylor or Marilyn Monroe or something. I mean, they really, they really kind of view her as a next film goddess, which I don't know if she would have been had she survived, well, but, but, yeah. th- th- but that's the, you know, that's the movie sort of presents her that way, I, so her job is to sort of make the audience fall in love with her, so that sense of doom that we all know is coming towards the end is amplified by how nice the person who is about to get killed is, you know? Yeah, and some of that, you know, has some historical basis that, you know, my understanding of what uh, Sharon Tate was like as a person was, you know, she was still very, she was only 26 when she died, sure. and she hadn't made a ton of movies, but because of, you know, Valley of the Dolls was a big hit, and uh, a lot due to her marriage with Roman Polanski, right. is, my understanding is that Sharon Tate was one of those people who, you know, like, was almost famous for being famous. That she was more famous than her movie career would lead you to believe. And, you know, there's been people like this throughout history. There still are. That There are people you might recognize on magazine covers and be like, oh, I know how that person's kind of famous, but what exactly did they <laughs> do again? Right, right. And, 
Yeah, so that's... I don't know. I I enjoy Margot Robbie's portrayal of her. I mean, I agree. It, it is a little limited, and you know, I don't, I don't know if this is a good time to segue into this, but Tarantino is often accused of being a sexist director, and I don't think it's completely without merit. Um, he, you know, certainly has some adjustments the other way to make up for that. I mean, that uh, the Bride and Kill Bill is certainly, like, I mean, she gets the shit kicked out of her, but, you know, that's obviously a pretty strong female character. Uh-huh. He wrote Jackie Brown for Pam Greer, and um, I quite love uh, Soshana in Inglorious Bastards. So he has a history of some really great female characters. Yeah. But he also has a history of, I don't know, to me it's it's not so much like an active hatred of women. There are people who think that. I think it's almost more like his movies are often just very male. That they're very much from a male point of view, and well, that is how Tarantino I Tarantino is male. Well, what <laughs> point of view would would, would he be? Let me. I guess I mean that in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it is not as we said like an equal like three parter. No. This is the story mainly of Rick Dalton and his friend the stuntman Cliff. Yeah, and there are other characters in the movie. But for the most part, how you view all those characters is in relation to these two guys. So if there are scenes where the women they encounter aren't given as like rich a character study or nothing, that's how these characters see them. I don't know. It's yeah. and that, that, would, makes sense that would be authentic towards in terms of Hollywood at that point. I mean, we, you know, we could do an endless series of podcasts about how the social justice community is 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 dealing with every single film that comes out i mean you could you could talk about this endlessly but but i, I do wonder the, the, there's definitely an aspect to once upon a time in hollywood that's getting some criticism is that it's 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 not just revolves around you know two white male protagonists and kind of puts the the other protagonist in the back burner, the female Sharon Tate in that film, but also the way it sort of pines for a time when these protagonists would win the day and yeah. would save the day and would be the hero every single time. And, uh, and that's, you know, th- this is sort of the prism that everything is viewed in the modern world and, you know, in 10 years we could be making you know, parodies on this worldview and this approach to everything, or we may not be. I don't know. You know, I don't know how history will judge this period of time when everybody wants every piece of art to advance some kind of social justice agenda. I don't think yeah. that's the job of art, and it's not, you know, the duty of every filmmaker to do that. Uh, but Tarantino, you're right, Tarantino's had, of, of all filmmakers, certainly much more so than... Well, you name the other marquee guys, you know, Scorsese, Spielberg, Nolan, all of these guys are completely male-centric filmmakers where Tarantino has, you know, half of his movies have either extremely powerful, crucial female characters or straight-up female protagonists, as in Jackie Brown, as in Kill Bill. Uh, So, you know, I think he's less guilty of that than anybody else, but he is... You know, he's a heterosexual male. He likes women in a sexual way. And that that attitude, I don't believe, makes one a misogynist. Yeah, I don't don't think he's a misogynist. Uh, I will say this movie is 
you know, it, it's it's about these two guys, and apart from Sharon Tate, who, as we mentioned, is kind of, you know, almost like ridiculously innocent, yeah. that most of the other female characters are certainly like lesser than. Like, you know, famously these two, and part of the point is these two guys, their strongest relationship is with each other. It's right. you know, it's another in a long line of. You know, a, it's a platonic love story from sure. some angle between yeah. these two men. Yeah, they're a couple of and bros hanging out. They are unfulfilled in their female relationships. Now, there are parts you can, if you wanted to, you know, people point out that Cliff, there's a rumor that he killed his wife. And in the one scene with his wife, you don't even see her. You just hear her nagging at him. Right. And it kind of leaves open the, uh, like, it leaves open both, A, maybe he did kill his wife, a and uh, B, maybe she deserved it from the point of view of the movie. Well, yeah, that, that's and that's it. And then you know, that's when, a little questionable, and, and that's definitely Rick, played for laughs you know, too, right? Oh, he murdered his wife. Hilarious. Yeah, and, uh, but she was such a shrewish bitch that it doesn't really matter. Well, that's in the so, eyes of the law, it doesn't work. Like that. <laughs> no, uh, and there there is that. I'm not going to say it's not there, but I also just feel like it doesn't have, as you said, it does. The movie to me does not have like a misogynist agenda. I don't think so. And it's a love letter to old Hollywood, which, you know, which you could critique as being male-centric. But, you know, the the world was male-centric. Yeah. Like, trying to view the past through the prism of the present is absurd. It, it's, it's, it's a fool's game, and it's amazing how many fools play it. But, but uh, yeah. Well, this it's a movie this, about Hollywood in nineteen. This movie, I think, is more open to that critique because it certainly is not afraid to uh, change the rules of history. True, <laughs> and it, this is not a movie that was made in nineteen sixty-nine. It's no. just about nineteen sixty-nine. Yeah. So yeah, but I think that kind of stuff is built in, and uh, and and again, I think it's interesting that you know here's here's a film comes out and it's a successful film. Uh, a lot of people want to see it it's kind of an event picture yeah. and it's generating conversation people are arguing about it and talking about yeah. it which is a sign of good art yeah it's it is exciting i feel like it's been a while since we've had um even the movies i don't know they're like what's the last movie that was like this that was a popular film that people were really debating different sides of it i feel like it's been a good long it's while it's been a long time but, you know there are movies that are popular like say black panther or something where you know, a lot of people see them, but then also most people tend to like them. And then there are some, you know, more arty pictures which get good reviews and people like. But there's nothing that's been... It's been a long time, I feel like, since we've had a movie like this where there's, like, a healthy debate. And even if I disagree with some people's points of view, I can see where they're coming from. And it's kind of exciting to, yeah. as you say, to talk about art. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, and, and it's a sign of, of not just art, but, like, good art that can generate healthy conversation. Again, I think a lot of conversation around a lot of things, uh, and that includes basically trashy stuff like Marvel movies or whatever. I don't mean trashy in a bad way. I mean pulpy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and one, of course, could say that Tarantino has built a career on pulpy stuff, so so he's not some, he's not like Ingmar Bergman or anything like that, you know? He's a different kind. He's a, he's a popular artist. He's a popular sure. filmmaker. He's, he wants the audience to come in and watch his movies. He's not interested in making esoteric things that nobody's going to see. He never was, and you'll be the first to admit that. But, uh, but yeah, it is. It's cool. It's cool to have a real movie, Steve, and I miss real movies. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of that controversy, before we get to the ending and all that, let's talk about that Bruce Lee scene. Huh? <laughs> so uh, I will say I found that one of the most surprising things in the movie, just because, you know, I, I've never personally talked to Tarantino about this, but, you know, I would just assume Tarantino would be a big Bruce Lee guy. And then mm-hmm. watching that movie, and uh, I know you know a little bit more about Bruce Lee than I do, but so I didn't know a ton about Bruce Lee's off-camera life. And uh, but watching that movie seemed like wow, it's kind of a hit job on Bruce Lee. (laughs) It did not treat him reverentially. No, that's for sure. It treated him again. It it it. There was a little bit of a punchline going on, and the scene in question involves Cliff, the main character played by Brad Pitt, uh, essentially having a flashback to his last day as a professional stunt guy. Yeah, (laughs) and on that last day, uh, through cajoling an enormous effort on the part of his best friend, Rick Dalton, uh, he got Cliff a walk-on stunt part on the Green Hornet. On the Green Hornet. And uh, instead of saying thank you and just doing his job and keeping a low profile and being cool, Cliff decides to get into an argument with Bruce Lee, who at the beginning of the scene is expounding about you know, boxing versus martial arts and talking about how, uh, you know, what his confrontation with Muhammad Ali in the ring would yeah. look like. He's, <laughs> he's certainly, it's a combination of bragging and pontificating. About, <laughs> yes. You know. And, I mean, even that, and this, friends have told me later, is maybe a little bit accurate historically, but, I mean, if that's your first introduction to Bruce Lee, you, especially at the time when he was, you know just kind of the small role on a TV show, you might be like, wow, this guy seems like kind of a pompous windbag. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, the movie definitely brings that across and and just, you know, and and then, of course, it ends up in an actual fight, two out of three falls between Brad Pitt and Bruce Lee. And uh, and it's not, I, I don't think the movie makes any bones about the fact that Bruce Lee would still end up kicking his ass. But Cliff does pretty damn well against Bruce Lee, you know, and uh, and that in itself may be offensive to the the you know the Bruce Lee uh, estate. Well, that's what. So I guess I want to ask you what you think the point of Bruce Lee being in that scene. Like to me, the scene, the main points of that scene were a, you know, to show Cliff as being a tough guy, but also to show. I mean, that is set up as like that's the reason why. Cliff is unemployable as a yes. stuntman, yeah. at least as it, it, on any production where Kurt Russell's character is around. Well, that, that, <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be the cute way. I, I mean, think about it. Well, from I'm just saying. So I guess my question is, yeah, it, is it just Bruce Lee because he knew Bruce Lee was around that time, and that's more fun than if he just did it to somebody else? Well, right? I mean, like from I, I suppose from Tarantino's perspective, it'd be like, well, what what would be a good way? to show why Cliff is unemployable at this point. So he came up with this notice, like, what what would a stunt guy have to do to get bonged from a studio, from a studio lot? The answer well, is throw Bruce Lee into a car. Well, getting into a, phys- <laughs> yeah. getting into a physical altercation with one of your show stars yeah, would prob- probably do it. But wouldn't it be fun if your show star was basically a guy who most people consider you know, in a godlike fashion, and also kind of view as somebody who you 
you would not win a fight against. You yeah. Know? And uh, and I think that was sort of what Tarantino was trying to do. I think Tarantino reveres Bruce Lee, but but uh, you Tar- couldn't tell it from that movie. I'll well, say that he, again. But I think it was a very uh, irreverent uh, take on on Mr. Lee, and I don't think Mr. Lee's uh, uh, daughter and uh, ex-wife are. Uh, particularly happy about the way he was portrayed. I mean, mainly, the main problem with the way he was portrayed is he was shown as a bit of a blowhard, somebody who's kind of pontificating. I would actually argue that was almost worse than the fight. Because the fight, you could... You know, it's true that Brad Pitt does not kick his ass. No. And you could even argue the one hit Brad Pitt gets on him would be like a lucky... Bruce Lee wasn't expecting that. Well, I mean, in, in any fight where two skilled opponents are fighting, somebody, somebody's going to get a hit. I yeah. mean, if you watch any Bruce Lee movie, he gets his ass kicked ton. I mean, not ultimately, yeah. but he takes plenty of punishment from his opponents. So Bruce Lee understands that in any kind of contest, you're going to get hurt. Uh, and uh, I don't know. It's 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 a weird thing. I, I mean, I, I read the response from the Lee family, and I, I thought... I thought that they were just took it a little bit more seriously than they well, did Well, obviously it's it's you know it, it's fantasy that didn't happen. But I will say again, as just a viewer who didn't know as much about Bruce Lee, I walked away from that scene being like, "Man, what's his problem with Bruce Lee?" <laughs> like, well, I, like, I mean, if your only reference to Bruce Lee is the portrayal and as a fictionalized portrayal in this film, then a you don't give a shit about Bruce Lee, yeah. and b it's kind of irrelevant. You can find out all about Bruce Lee by watching a million documentaries about Bruce Lee or reading, you know, his books, his own writings. It's it's not hard, but but I think since he he was a public figure and he is a kind of an icon. Um, it's. I think it's acceptable to show him in ways that may not be super reverent, reverential <laughs> to him. I think it's okay to make him a little be a little bit more human. And I have to say, I did not think that it was a hit job on him. I, I really felt like he was portrayed as a guy who was kind of entertaining the crew between takes with his, you know, his musings and his philosophizing, which he was known to do. And uh, and then of course it led to the the confrontation with uh, with Cliff, yeah. which was also not an unknown situation for Bruce Lee. People would challenge him to fights, to which nine out of ten times he would back out of because he did he did actually tell people like I'm sorry I cannot fight you because if I kill you <laughs> I'll be put in jail. <laughs> I mean this literally this kind of yeah. stuff he said to Cliff. He actually would tell people and most normal people would get scared and back off. Yeah. But Cliff obviously thought it was it was nonsense. And it's it it was really more about Cliff's character than Bruce Lee. I yeah, I mean we can move on and uh I I believe all the things Tarantino has said about his uh intent. I'm just saying I disagree with you that it didn't come off as a hit job on Bruce yeah. Lee. I very much felt it did come off as a hit job uh, on Bruce Lee. Yeah, I'm not saying and, it was a positive portrayal yeah. of Bruce Lee, <laughs> and I, it really doesn't matter. I thought it was a super entertaining scene. Everybody it is an entertaining that scene. scene. That's and, true. And I think if you will, and and also Bruce Lee pops up in other parts of the film, and and you and 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 that kind of balances out his portrayal too, because you see the fact you get a couple he, shots of him like training with well, uh, tra- Sharon. Yeah, he like, trained yeah. Sharon Tate. He trained tons 
tons of Hollywood celebrity. I mean, he he was he was a figure. He was a he was a presence in Hollywood outside of just his acting, uh, which was definitely minimized because you know Hollywood was not super accepting. Yeah, that's I mean that was and that was where I kind of disagreed with uh, you know his daughter. His daughter was basically one of her arguments was that. You know, hey, as an Asian man in the 60s, uh, Hollywood wasn't particularly welcoming to Bruce Lee. He had a really hard time getting his foot in the door, getting better parts. Right. And all that is true, but that is a part that I think you are, you know, I, as I said, I think the biggest blow it made to Bruce Lee was making him just seem like kind of a like long-winded asshole. Yeah, and maybe a little bit foolish. You know, his daughter's argument was like, he had a really hard time... Why do you, you know, but anyway. Yeah. So Bruce I, Lee's I, scene, but here we are again. Here's this comedic scene in this movie and uh, generating a lot of dialogue. Back it is, and forth. It is. Makes people look up what Bruce Lee was really. I mean, apart from me being like, wow, that's shitty to Bruce Lee, it did also make me want to be like, well, what was Bruce Lee like? That was, did he like, you know. You know, I, I, I've, I've idolized Bruce Lee my entire life, and, and I was not offended at his portrayal at all. <laughs> all right. I thought at the end of the scene, if you watch the, the Lee character at the end of that scene, you could tell that he's taking it and, like, he, he's not upset. Like, at the end of that scene, there's no, he's not mad, upset. He has very little emotional thing. Yeah. He seems to be enjoying the entire the entire exchange, and that to me shows that you know he was human. He had a sense of humor, and uh, and and he certainly uh, he, he could he could take an occasional uh, throw uh, throw at the car if uh, if it came down to that, and not make a big deal out of it. Like I felt like if it was up to Bruce Lee, Cliff's character would not have gotten fired. <laughs> yeah. He, he would actually probably not have gotten fired and may have even got promoted after it was all said and done. Yeah. But, you know, what are you going to do? And, uh, and I guess uh, I guess it's 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 all fantasy, Steve. It's well, the fantasy. other uh, kind of surprising hit job of the movie for me was uh, just hippies. Hippies, this is a very... Yeah. It's been a while since we've had a film that was this anti-hippie. And, um, you know, I have mixed feelings about hippies myself, but... And obviously the Manson family represent, I mean, no one's ideal version of the hippie. <laughs> right. Even, even people who were like, I am a capital H hippie, were like, yeah, let's, uh, the Manson family does not, it's not a great look for us. But, uh, well, but the Manson camp family, the, 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 the Tate LaBianca murders essentially, I mean, what, what is often stated is that they, they single-handedly killed off the hippie movement because all of a sudden people realized that these people that were out there preaching peace and love and, and, and tolerance were not that peaceful and not that loving and not that tolerant. Well, and, a slight, somewhat yes, but then also just the idea of that when you have this group of, you know, like you've got a lot of young people who are open to new ideas and kind of searching for something new that is a fertile ground for predators sure it is a great environment for someone like charles manson to step in and adopt the trappings of the scene and be like you know what can i get out of this you know i've heard people talk about that i i'm young for this but that you know the free love idea that in practice a lot of time what it meant 
was men using it as an excuse to just sleep with whoever they wanted. Yeah. And then the women were supposed to just not complain about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's what free love men well, in practice. Like, I can fuck anybody I want, and if you have an issue with that, well, then you're just like, you're a square and you're uptight. Right. And um, so, but yeah, the whole, you know, Rick Dalton, especially one of our two main characters, is uh, you know he represents the Hollywood of the '50s and the past, and he doesn't like where it's going. And no, I was a bit surprised that because that's the protagonist's take, it did seem like it was almost like the point of view of the movie. And Tarantino, a man who obviously, you know, both through his words and his career, like revered a lot of the new Hollywood of the '70s. Mm-hmm. All of those directors, and like Scorsese, and when Warren Beatty came out, and Hal Ashby, like all those people meant a lot to Tarantino. But in this new movie, it almost seems like a an older man's like desperate attempt to fend off that inevitable change. Yeah, yeah. it's a little bit of a rejection of of what's you know what actually happened in Hollywood, and a little bit of a idealization of what old Hollywood was like, where where you had you know where virtually virtually all the major movie stars were super conservative people for the most part and and uh, were not particularly you know gung ho about the those crazy hippie kids that are taking over the you know and and this was mainly a perspective of Rick Dalton Rick Dalton incidentally I mean he is one of the protagonists of the film but I don't think the movie shows him to be I mean you're not supposed to idolize Rick Rick Dalton I think Rick Dalton I mean comes off as a shallow asshole I, I, I mean, I don't That's know. That's true. I don't think Rick Dalton is is the quote-unquote hero. He's a protagonist. He may be an anti-hero in a way. Because a lot of whatever little plot there is is driven really by Rick's insecurities. In fact, a huge part of the first half of the film really has to do with Rick just friggin' just, just becoming super paranoid about his career and doesn't know what to do and it's just all like like based on that you know yeah uh, and, uh, and one of the things about DiCaprio's performance is you know he has a whiny aspect to his voice often <laughs> well and not just in this, but in general and I feel like most of the time um directors or they just kind of ignore it you know like they put him sometimes in positions of authority and power where you know, like just the sheer force of his personality or acting or something. Like we we treat him like he's this man that other men would follow. You right, know? right. And and this was kind of the first movie that leaned into the kind of weedy, like upper register aspects <laughs> of that. That you know, Rick Dalton's kind of whiny. And there's more than one occasion in this movie where his buddy Cliff has to basically be like, you know, get a hold of yourself, quit being so whiny, and uh, right. You know, man up a little here. It's going to be okay. Absolutely. And that's a great, great sort of relationship between those two characters in that film. And, and again, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a really a character study of those two guys be, before it is anything else. Well, yeah, it's a character, but then also it's, I don't know, I just think it, there are people who make horror movies uh, or superhero movies or action movies, all as like using genre as a way to express you know, loss or fear, or paranoia. And this to me was that it is the midlife crisis movie expressed through the genre of like the Hollywood nostalgia piece. 
which uh, was kind of it. The whole thing, it's a middle-aged man's revenge fantasy. So then when we get to the end, as you said, the Manson murder, or, uh, you know, the Tate murders and the LaBianca murders are often seen as the end of the 60s, the end of innocence. So in Tarantino's movie, it's like, well, what if we just made that never happen? Maybe it's... Yeah. Not only is it that then the... Th- the cinema of the 70s doesn't come necessarily, but then it's like maybe the innocence and the party can keep going. I mean, at the end of the movie, after, you know, Cliff's gone off in the ambulance and the rest have been made and the cops have been called, then, you know, Sharon and her housemates invite Rick over for a drink. And it's like, as far as uh, Sharon and J.C. bring know, the party never stopped. That's right. It never stopped. It, absolutely. And and that's sort of the cornerstone of the concept. I think this is exactly what, what, what how Tarantino just came up with the whole notion. Is is like, because of the coincidental nature of the Tate LaBianco murders, where, where they basically went to the wrong house or, or went to the right house, but... There were the wrong people living in the house at the time, you know, and they were just like, okay, we'll just murder these people, you know, and and they did. Uh, and and the concept, I think, in in Tarantino's mind, and and I maybe we should backtrack a little bit, Steve, and just say, spoiler alert, Tarantino changes history. Sure. Right? The, the the Sharon Tate does not get killed at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and in fact, ends up presumably living happily ever after. And you get a similar kind of promise for Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton actually is elevated to another level of Hollywood because now he gets to mix with the up-and-comers, the future stars like Sharon Tate and big-time hotshot directors like Roman Polanski. And, And this, the implication being, is that Rick will now elevate himself to the level of somebody like say Jack Nicholson for example yeah and and you know when I walked out of the film I thought to myself you know I don't know if they could have done this but they like a little coda would have been a great scene from Chinatown starring Rick Dalton (laughs) that I think that that would that would have been like the the cherry on top of this thing Uh, but uh, we didn't get that and uh, and you're right. I mean, the, the, the Manson people got slaughtered. They by, did. So that's what you're but, saying. It's not a, a violent film until then the end. When yes. There is a, it gets there super is, violent. In a five-minute stretch there, there is a lot of violence. It is. It, it, it is violent, but, I mean, overall, and, and it's the kind of violence that's cathartic. Like, my and audience, a good, I mean, my audience was applauding. Oh, yeah. There's laughter and cheering and... Uh, yeah. I mean, it really is. It's not just that they thwarted the murders. Right. They really just uh, literally set fire to the whole concept. Well, there was the, this emotional, the, the, it, was, it was a catharsis. Yeah. You know, I felt like the people in the theater were super relieved yeah. that they did not have to sit through the actual Sharon Tate murder. Okay. And, and the fact that these guys in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the... The, the, the Manson family members uh, essentially wander into, walk into the wrong house because Rick, you know, marches out there and with his hatred of hippies, essentially goads them yeah. into coming and killing him. I, you know, I, I thought that was great and that, and the audience responded very well to it. Well, it is, uh, you know, it's as gory and horrible as the actual 
Tate murders were, but it's just, you know, you flip <laughs> who the right. atrocities are committed. Exactly, against. exactly. And that's that, that that's that's another interesting element of the film. I, I you know, one of the criticisms that I I cannot discount as easily as I've 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 discounted some other criticisms on this film is the the historical revisionism. Like when people say like I'm a little bit offended that this movie just changes history and sort of downplays or or somehow siphons meaning from the death of Sharon Tate and and the other people in the house that that's a hard one for me to argue against like how do you like what's the argument against it like like yes it's pretty audacious for a movie to just erase the the Tate LaBianca murders. I mean, yeah, like it demeans. Yeah, they're yeah, lost. I mean, it demeans the tragedy of what happened. I mean, it was like a pregnant woman got slaughtered. You know, a twenty six year old pregnant woman who did nothing to to anybody uh, just got slaughtered for no friggin' reason because these psychos just needed to make a statement on the behest of some other psycho who wasn't even there. Uh, and. Uh, it's that that's a tough one. I mean, I think it worked well. I wasn't offended by it, and in many ways I like everybody else in the audience that I saw with was relieved that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, no, it uh I I don't know, and the other interesting part of the revisionism that I and I honestly am unclear about how much Tarantino even thought about this, but and this probably just reflects more on me about as someone who you know, really quite enjoyed the changes in Hollywood that came in the 70s. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I thought less about, you know, like, the murders that were averted and more about, like, well, wait a minute, is this saying he wishes those changes didn't come? You know, that I didn't, like, not that I want Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring and their other housemates to be slaughtered or anything, but at the same time, I didn't necessarily want that old world of the 50s and 60s to continue. So, yeah, it's, I don't know, it was interesting that what he got out of by changing history, it just, when the credits rolled, it made me think a lot about, was he hoping that what came after then didn't come after? Yeah, I, I think he's, you know, I think he's a little bit conflicted there. I think, you know, because he does revere the films of the 60s and late 60s and also the television of the 60s and late 60s. Part of him does think that, but but he also reveres the... Well, he the, clearly has the, a the 70s Hollywood. I mean, uh, and also just even the 1970s. It's for yeah. the first, his first three movies. Um, you know, I... One of the things I really liked about Inglorious Bastards is that as much as I enjoyed the Kill Bill movies, I was afraid we were just, like, Tarantino had pushed himself into a corner. That all his movies ostensibly took place in the present, but just with, like, nonstop 70s nostalgia. Yes. And, you know, in Reservoir Dogs, it's a little different. Everybody's in suits. But with Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown... You're like, okay, this is a little... Like, Pulp Fiction was kind of novel at the time. Like, oh, it was an interesting twist on things. But then with Jackie Brown, it felt a little... Even in that area, like, okay, we're just going to do this again. And then with Kill Bill, the same... You know, there's still that a aspect of it. And then especially when we got down to Death Proof. You're like, is this what all these movies are just going to be? Like, you know, he's got his movie, but we're just going to have to be subjected to endless references to the 60s endless and 70s. 70s revivalism. Yeah, and it just seemed like an artistic dead end to me. Yeah. And 
So one of the reasons I really loved Inglorious Bastards and rank it as one of his best movies is he found a way out. Yeah. Like, you know, he found a way to found still... another period to, to, uh, to plunder. <laughs> well, but he didn't... He's like, okay, I don't have to just work in this world, you right, know? Right, right. And It's a great point, and, and I think I'm going to take it a step further and say that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Tarantino's most mature work as an artist uh, because it's the first film he's ever made that was not, in fact... A film about other films. Yeah. It's a well, film set in the, in the factory yeah, where yeah. other films are being made, and yeah. it's a film that talks extensively about the process of filmmaking. But it's not like a semi. But it remake. is not exactly. Yeah. It is not about other movies. Whereas every other film he's made, every single one, is literally a riff on some other film. So it's like Tarantino's world is strictly a cinematic world. It doesn't exist on in reality. It's like all of his films, including Inglorious Bastards, is about other movies. Whereas this movie is not. Yeah. It's really not. And this is something that I think is is really elevates this film and really I I you know, I think it's one of his best films regardless regardless of what people say. Not only that, I, but I think like this movie will age well. Yeah, that's where, you know, people have asked me who haven't seen it, they're like, you know, where where do you rank it in his filmography? You know, he's made nine movies. And on first viewing, I was a little bit, like, kind of in the middle. Uh, but I, which sounds demeaning, but it actually just means because the ones above it, I think, are really good, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I, I'm with you. I'm curious to see what I think about this one in, like, a year or two. I think it will age well. Yeah. I mean, I have the same Inglorious Bastards aged pretty well for me. Yeah. Um, Jane, well, that's also one of his best films. Yeah. Django, not as much. No. Um, so we'll have to see where it comes out. Well, and it's great to see also because we were... There was there was a strong possibility that Tarantino was on the downward slide with The Hateful Eight. Yeah. There's things to love in The Hateful Eight, but... Overall, it's one of his weakest films, and I and, would say it's either that or Death Proof for me. Well, Death Proof like is almost—I I almost, I barely count Death Proof, yeah. Steve. I barely count it. I, it he counts it. It's, he does, but I—I I, I don't know. I, it's just—it's such a trifle, dude. It's yeah. such a trifle. It's not a—it's not a film. It's a scene. Well, that's—it's it, it, got two bits. There's uh, there's the whole there's the first part of the movie with Kurt Russell. Um, which, again, is okay, but also just stuff we talk about. The Tarantino in love with his own dialogue and in love yeah. with 70s sketch. Yeah. And then the second part of it is Tarantino taught himself how to shoot a car chase scene, which, good for him, but that whole... It's so gratuitous that I feel like the second half of that movie is he was just in the editing room and is just so in love with all his footage. Yeah. And he's like, and that shot's great, and that shot's well, great. And, and who in the, in the retrospect of film history is counting that scene as one of the great car chases? I mean, come on. Nobody. Like, like no, nobody. So, and, and again, this is an hour-long film, less. It's like, Death Proof is like 55 minutes long. Remember, it's part of two, yeah, yeah. a double feature. Well, okay? Yeah. So it's like an hour-long film. So even in terms of its running time, it's hard for me to count it as an actual movie. I don't know. To me, Death Proof is almost like a, 
it's it's like one of those things when a great director decides to direct one episode of some show they <laughs> like, you know, and 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 didn't Tarantino like direct an episode of like Hawaii Five O or something? He did like ER that? once famously in oh. the nineties, like right at like the height of his right, fame. right, exactly. It's a stunt. It doesn't mean anything. It's 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 so I I I kind of just discount Death Proof, and I think this entire conversation really revolves around the fact that Tarantino's promised to only make ten films. So now, if he's counting Death Proof, that means that he's really only going to make nine films. Uh, and I don't know if I believe him or not. Do you believe him? No. No, I don't believe him. He's given himself a couple outs. And there's already, you know, there's some talk that he might um, do a Star Trek movie, actually. Well, that's, that would be his tenth film if he well, does he, do he it. claims it's not. He says that he gave himself an asterisk for that. Right, that right. It's not a... Doesn't count at all. But. Well, I good. I hope he doesn't count. Like I don't like it when people and yeah, you know, and both of us just heard a pretty pretty fun interview with Tarantino, uh, and and you know he was asked this question directly, and he was basically like, well, you know, I'm married now. I I want to you know I want to start a family and stuff like that. Something tells me that once Tarantino's child is two or three years old, Tarantino's going to get an inkling to go back and make another movie. Yeah, maybe a comedy about being a father. Or maybe something that has nothing to do with parenthood. Regardless, I do not, I don't like people making those, these promises. I don't like, I, to me, it just seems like a publicity stunt. Well, that's, I, like I mean, I've heard the, I've heard the argument that, you know, going back to how we said, he's one of the few directors who seems to open a movie just based on his name. Um, his whole 10 film thing really does give every movie he makes this like aura of like you better rush out there's not going to be that many more of these and so in that regard i mean hats off to him for creating that kind of yeah you know like if if you thought every film by every filmmaker like you know this is a grand event hurry up there's only going to be one or two more of these it might be might be a good marketing ploy. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, good for him if he can make that work as a marketing ploy, or even if it's not, a, even if he's being completely honest. I think he's actually being. Uh, I think he 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 he's trying to be honest. I don't. And and in this interview, even in this interview, he was sort of hedging his bets and saying, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. Again, I I don't like it when musicians pull this kind of stuff. I don't like it when all artists say like I'm done after this. It's it's. I don't know. It's it. It seems. Um, yeah, take it with a grain of salt and move on. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it uh, seems egotistical to me. It's just like, oh, I, you know, I just can't deal with this anymore, or I, whatever. It's just, it's like. Uh, just, well, you know, it's also something he said like, fifteen years ago, and then has just decided to never call his own bluff on it. So he's like, well, at least what he tells the press, he's like, I'm just gonna stick to that right <laughs> um you know one aspect about death proof about him teaching himself to shoot a car scene i mean it was gratuitous but it is admirable that tarantino does learn like he does get better he's a much oh, yeah. better director of suspense right and you know prior to kill bill like if you watch reservoir dogs and pulp fiction and jackie brown you wouldn't call tarantino a particularly good director of action no. And but he wanted to make a kung fu movie, and to his credit, he spent some time learning how to do it. And yeah. I really admire that because, um, you know, we both like Wes Anderson, at least to a point. Mm-hmm. And one of my least favorite films about is The Life Aquatic, and I've got various issues with it. But you know, sometimes there's a thing that's almost like a deal breaker for you in a movie, mm-hmm. or at least for me. And a deal breaker for me in The Life Aquatic is there's a scene where, like, you know, they, our heroes have to go. 
Um, They have to rescue someone from these pirates. And there's a scene where there's like a shootout with the pirates. And Wes Anderson just punts. Like, you know, the shootout occurs off screen. And you see people run in and out of a room with a gun. And you'll hear sometimes, you know, even critics will be like, oh, like the action parts of the movies are boring. And who cares about that anyway? Well, certainly not Wes Anderson. Yeah. Well... I just thought that was lazy. I thought it was unbelievably lazy that, like, Wes Anderson should have taught himself how to do at least a small action scene. Like, that's part of his job, almost. Yeah, yeah. And Tarantino was like, all right, if I'm going to shoot an action movie, I need to study this. If I'm right. going to shoot, you know, a car chase, I should study this. And he, you know, I felt like if he did a musical, he would spend a lot of time about musical staging and... Yes, and I think he would. He totally does. Yeah, yeah, Tarantino takes himself seriously as a filmmaker. He takes himself very seriously, maybe too seriously. But yeah. but, but uh, the other thing, and we talked about this before we, as we were preparing for this podcast, but, but uh, the, the, Tarantino's collaboration with the cinematographer Bob Richardson has been very critical to his development as a filmmaker. Yes. Right? Working with a guy like Richardson, who from what I understand is not a particularly, he's not one of those guys who railroads directors into doing it his way. He is very flexible in the different people he works with. And uh, and I, I think once that collaboration started, and it started on Kill Bill, um, Tarantino's directing abilities, visually certainly, has has gone significantly up. Oh, yes. So, yeah, no, it, it's a much more uh, cinematic director. And, you know, we talk about this as a hangout movie. His previous hangout movie was Jackie Brown. Right. And I rewatched that recently for the first time in maybe like 15 or more years. And uh, Jackie Brown is uh, it's very slow at the beginning and, you know, for a hangout movie, there are a lot of scenes in Jackie Brown where it's just two people talking and the camera doesn't move at all. Like, it'll be two people talking, sometimes even in profile to each other with just a static shot. It's almost like watching a play. And not to take away from the actors or even the script, but it reaches a point where it's just, it's not very dynamic. And, yeah, I feel like in terms of, when people say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is boring, I'm like, you should go back and check out Jackie Brown. Yeah, see how boring uh, Jackie Brown is. Yeah, that's... Well, Jackie Brown, and I mean, is also a little bit of a a wild card in, in Tarantino's filmography, is that it's an adapted screenplay. It is an adapted... Everything about Jackie Brown, in some ways, is a, a bit... Not what you would expect. It's, it's, it's an odd duck It's for an him. adapted screenplay. It's very much a movie about getting older. And it's another, like, maybe even past the midlife crisis point. It's a little bit, like, about characters who are right around retirement age. Made by a man who was in his early 30s when he did that. Right. And he also made that movie when he was, you know, probably at his absolute capital H hottest as a director. Right, right. Yeah, so... Yes, he just won, won the Palm Dior for, for, for Pulp Fiction. What is he going to do? The talk of the town. Like, what is the follow-up to Pulp Fiction? So, the, the big and, question was, is he capable of making a movie movie? Is he yeah. is he a one-trick pony in a sense that he can only make the kind of movie that we've seen him make, which was, at that point, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, one kind of, a again, a riff on classic genre yeah. gangster heist films. You make a talky crime movie. And yeah. the and the other is just kind of a convoluted, you know, braid of various pulp fiction stories. 
you know, woven together for to create something very fresh, which Pulp Fiction was. Can he make a normal narrative films? And his answer was Jackie Brown. And a lot of people, I always find, I always find it funny when people say Jackie Brown is my favorite. I find that odd too. I mean, first of all, I'm like, do you are you not into fun? You know, it's uh, <laughs> like I mean, like you know, the the thing about Tarantino is I wish I could just strip out all the entertaining bits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's not. It's I, I I like Jackie Brown. I think it's a good picture. It's but, okay. I, but but it's not. It it doesn't have the kind of like zeitgeist changing vibe that. Pulp Fiction, or even Reservoir Dogs had. I mean, I would uh, say anyone who thinks, anyone who says that is the best Tarantino film, I'm like, well, you probably just don't really like his movies. That's exactly my point. If you think Jackie Brown is the best thing Tarantino's ever done, you do not like Tarantino, period. Yeah, because the, the most exciting parts of Tarantino are actually, you know, when he's got, like, the zip going, you know, like, when it, yeah. it, it, it feels like he's capturing something exciting and and uh, and Jackie Brown is an extremely laid back movie. Right, right. And 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 I don't mind it. Again, I don't mind I it do either. Not no, hate I, Jackie uh, Brown, I, but I, I think it's, it's but I think it's, it's a ridiculous a, claim to. It's much to, to better say than it's Death Proof or The Hateful Eight. <laughs> it, it, I do think it's better than both of those films, but it sits to me right above those films in his filmography. Yeah, I'm virtually every other one of his films I like better. Django is a little like that for me. Again, I think Django is just way derivative of other westerns. And, and Django's got some messy aspects to it, but then the good parts about Django are really good. Yeah. And just overall, it's a lot more exciting to picture. I mean, the things it's doing are ballsier and right. uh, more interesting, right. frankly. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, it's not his best, but it's... Uh, but uh, it's it's somewhere in the middle. Whereas uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood seems to sit higher. Yeah, you know, I uh, I think it's a it's a triumph for him. It's certainly a movie. You know, it's fun to see and talk about. We can argue about it. And um, I'm curious to see what our friend does next with uh, his his final film or not. Absolutely, Steve. Absolutely. Well, any final thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I don't know. I feel like I've covered it. You? Yeah. I. You know, I, I loved it. What can I tell you? I Shout out it. to the I'm, dog, I guess. I'm, we didn't give the dog, the dog as much love. Love the dog. And a lot of, like, little 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 detail performances. You know, and the movie wasn't did not overdo the the fake movie star cameos. You know, it had a little bit with Steve McQueen, played by Damien Lewis. Yeah. Kind of like, that was cool, you know. But, incidentally, like, a lot of complaints about how Bruce Lee was treated. I mean, Steve McQueen was, was like... Was 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 not shown in the best light either. Nobody's complaining about that. Yeah. You know, like what was Steve McQueen doing in that movie? Like gossiping and 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 complaining why he can't you know bed uh, Sharon Tate because she prefers uh, shorter foreign men. You know, I mean it's it's uh, it, it was it didn't do him any favors. Or uh, Roman Polanski's uh, he uh, goes to a party dressed like Austin Powers and then he uh, complains about a dog. That's right, and then and then you don't see him again. I. It's uh, well. I mean, I think the reason, the reason for these treatments is Roman Polanski is still very much alive, whereas uh, Steve McQueen and Bruce Lee are very much not. That's so true. they can't, uh, they can't really defend themselves. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, a lot of fun, a beautiful film, uh, uh, fun to watch film. I'm again looking, really, really looking forward to seeing it again. I just wanna, I wanna see it again. Like I wanna see it again now, Steve. No. Oh. 
we should just drive to. We the should movie. just drive to the Keep theater. Keep driving yeah, yeah, to the movie yeah. theater and and invest another three hours in uh, in, a, in another viewing. But I am looking forward to seeing it again. And a little side note: this was the first like serious movie that my son wanted to go see with ah, me. Ah, that's, so that's kind of a landmark thing. So yeah. I took my boy to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he loved it, and and and, and he, he got it, and we talked about it, and now he's kind of jazzed to maybe see some other Tarantino films. Oh, that's a great, uh, and there's a great little coda. I, yeah. I, I am uh, very, I'm very excited about that, because literally he's been raised on Disney films and superhero films. Sure. And that's well, what a, he thinks of as cinema. It's a coming-of-age thing, and that's, I know exactly what you're talking about my own son is too young for that yet but it's a thing that i'm looking forward to yeah yeah absolutely and and he he got it he wasn't shocked by it that's great and 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 i'm really looking forward to seeing more like real movies with him yeah let's hope that there's more real movies made that's that i can see he's got a he's got a whole history ahead of him we can we can go backwards i suppose yeah what do you think should should be my son's uh next tarantino film his next tarantino film yeah, what, what do you think would be we should, oh, should we go right to the dogs. beginning? Yeah, Reservoir Dogs. I'd say I that or so. Pulp Fiction, but yes. uh, Reservoir Dogs might be a good. I one, think I'd Reservoir say. Dogs is a good way to go. Yeah, absolutely. I it's think. a good like a hallmark of an yeah. independent cinema too. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. No, no thrills, just good acting, good dialogue, and uh, memorable characters, and uh, that's that's saying a lot these days. Yeah, well, that's all I got, buddy. All right. Well, I'm Steve Haskins. I'm Andre Shane, and we'll see you next time. All right.